0: Welcome to the One Degree Shift podcast, where we learn the little changes that future proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Dr. R.J. Heckman, thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift podcast today. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. You know,
0: to the listeners who are tuning in today, whatever day this might be, know that we've got a very special guest uh, with us today. We've got the vice chairman of Corn Ferry, at, who's just written a new book, The Talent Manifesto. But I don't want you to take it from me. Dr. Heckman, can you share a little bit about yourself and what's most exciting for you right now?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, by background, uh, I'm an HR guy, I've been a generalist, been a specialist, been in small and large companies like PhD psychologist, industrial psychology. So I like the data that goes into people and talent. But then I also took a diversion and for about 12 years was a CEO of uh, companies, one public, one private, you know, and so I've I've bought and sold and grown companies. And now I'm kind of taking that bucket of insight to my clients and working with uh, many of the largest companies in the world to try and help them to better leverage talent in driving and activating strategy and even in Mm -hmm. transforming their businesses. That's Mm -hmm. that's what, what I do. That's what's been exciting for me of late.
0: And it resulted in a book, did it not? Most recently, The Talent Manifesto. Can you tell me about the book?
1: Yeah, for sure. So The the Talent Manifesto, I would first say it's a movement of people uh, more and more who are trying to say that the way we've been leveraging people is insufficient, that we've been under leveraging our potential around talent and that with very specific approaches, uh, we could get far better organizational performance through people. Mm-hmm. And so then the book is a, an effort to put into writing the practices that have been working in a powerful way. So it starts with uh, kind of three principles that, uh, that really will differentiate good from great companies around how they manage talent. And then the rest mm-hmm. of the book operationalizes those those principles and shows how they, they can be used in a, a large number of different companies across different talent processes.
0: Excuse me while I place my order uh, right now, uh, as I want to learn and, and dive into to this book. Can, can you tell me about what some of those specific approaches are in the workplace now that aren't working? You know, given that we're talking about the one degree shift podcast today, what are the one degree shifts that we need to make from what I would say was an old normal to what might be a new best practice?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think the best way to answer it: th- these are the three principles, and so uh, the, the first one is around strategy, and so talent strategies we find too oftentimes are not differentiated. In other words, all talent are created equal; all talent have equal impact on the execution of strategy, yet That's just not the case. In reality, there are uh, roles in any organization, some which are much more important in the execution of strategy than others. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we can go through examples of that. but But so the bad news is too many companies don't have a unique and differentiated talent strategy. And they they view all employees as created equal, which is a, a nice framework, a, a nice way to think of it. But uh, but when executing strategy, all talent are actually not created equal. A second principle is around data. And I think the norm in, in HR and in too many organizations is not to use any when mm. deciding the fate of people, when hiring, when promoting, when hey uh, when engaging people uh, there is there's an awful shortage or even a total absence of data in practice in too many companies yet world class companies have data to support all of those processes mm-hmm. and the data that they that they use will predict and explain the outcomes of their business so it's it's right. very powerful the use of data
0: if i could just interject there because what what i want to make sure that i do for for the listeners is ensure that we've got you know, we can dive into each of these different principles. So if I could, you know, a question that came up with respect to strategy and not all talent being equal when it comes to the execution strategy, how might I know what talent is more essential or more critical when it comes to the execution of strategy? And how does that vary from company to company, perhaps industry to industry, or maybe profit status?
1: Yeah. So you'd have to start by a really deep, gaining a very deep understanding of how your business will win, uh, how they will beat their competitors in the, at least in the profit oriented world. And, and, and again, too few people really understand that at a really detailed level. So a couple examples, uh, you know, Apple wins and beats its competition because of, uh, of having superior products. And everyone buys, it. It's, it's obviously a well-branded company and it's a company that you know, does pretty well by its consumers, but, but really it's the product that is far superior from mm-hmm. you know, wearables to mobile devices, etc., They are superior products. Costco is a retailer that doesn't have superior products. They have superior price, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. Sam's Club, Costco, they compete on price. And a company like Nordstrom will compete on service and the intimacy that they create with their shoppers. Mm. And yet the employees required to execute the strategies as a, at an Apple versus a Costco versus a Nordstrom are very different. So you need software engineers if you're going to, you know, create a product superiority advantage and right. so on. You need frontline employees. You need buyers at a Costco, right? Mm-hmm. So talent strategies then start with an understanding of how a business will win. And then it continues through to understanding which employees can make a differential impact on the activation of that strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's great. Uh, and that also leads me into the second uh, principle around uh, data. You talked about the importance of data and I, I couldn't agree more, but I'm curious from your perspective and your experience, what what data is the most important to collect and what data is the most important to act on when you're looking to make these strategic decisions?
1: You know, that, that of course will depend on the decision itself. So um, usually let's take something as simple as hiring. Everyone's been hired or, or hired another, right? So Usually it's gut instinct, uh, referral, reference, resume, you know, pretty simple kind of gut checks and, and, and something of a chemistry fit. But what mm-hmm. we know is that uh, jobs require different skill sets. Jobs can be profiled and people can be matched uh, algorithmically and, and mm-hmm. with reliable and valid data at the point of hire. So understanding the competencies, experiences, the traits, and even the drivers are things that motivate people and measuring those with reliable and valid measures and methods, mm-hmm. that will lead to a better hire, a better fit, a stronger performance even sooner than it otherwise would be. And yet, people don't typically use that data at point of hire. And then they make costly mistakes you know, with the people they let into their organization. How effective
0: today is artificial intelligence in anticipating or, or, or projecting community and collaboration amongst people within the same team? And, and I'll dive into that question a little bit further. Understanding skills, competencies, requirements and education, understanding perhaps even like commute distance or working styles, I can get and I can understand. It, at today's date, uh, How how is artificial intelligence in anticipating... How people will work with each other amongst the same team, and is that something that, or is that something that AI is even focused on right now?
1: I do believe AI is focused in those areas, and yet I believe we're in the literally maybe the first inning of the baseball game with regard to AI. Mm-hmm. And so the type of data that you just referenced uh, is collected and and built into the algorithms only because that's the data, the only data they have. You know, too often times. Better, richer data that would be more highly predictive of outcomes in team environments or elsewhere are not mm-hmm. collected or used, or or scraped off of the web, off of social media, uh, you know, location. Sure. You know, and sure. so it's it's really early days yet in in the world of AI, though it's it's changing rapidly and and certainly very exciting.
0: So, with that rapid change, then I would anticipate almost a reconfiguration of the workplace. And I'll dive into that a little bit further to get your thoughts on that. I I believe that many people are doing the right job with the right skill sets for the wrong company. Because I I believe that traditional recruiting methods have been extremely limited in matching the things that we're talking about today. Do you see in the next five years that if artificial intelligence is able to predict a better match to uh, help co-create a more united or a more optimized culture from organization to organization, that you'd see people moving around more than they did in the past and then tenure increasing because they've landed at a better organization? Or do you see something else?
1: I uh, completely agree with some of what you said, and yet I I hope that you're wrong about a couple other things. So, what I agree on is that there will be a better, stronger matching algorithm between talent and work uh, in the future, uh, for sure. And that'll happen because uh, information on what it takes to succeed in jobs will be better studied and mapped quantitatively, Mm -hmm. and uh, information about people will be volunteered uh, mm. You know more frequently. So where I would disagree is simply that it's going to take five years. I think it'll be mm. far quicker than that, and wow. far more powerful. And and the other area where I think I'd I'd show a little friendly, you know, kind of provocative disagreement with sure. you, Eric, uh, just for kicks. You know, is is to say that people will use that data to find better fit and longer term employment. I think uh-huh. an equally likely possibility, certainly in five years is that the gig economy will explode. The interaction of COVID-19 and 87% of the United States, and and I don't know the data worldwide, but it can't mm-hmm. be terribly dissimilar. But if 87% of us are working from home right now, then the gig economy is going to blow up. You know, uh, this week alone, 6.6 million, or last week mm-hmm. alone, 6.6 million unemployment claims were filed. Those mm-hmm. people if they're smart and savvy, are going to share more about who they are, what they're capable of in hopes of uh, AI tools picking up on their skill sets and them getting gigs, even if not permanent employment. That is a better match. So I think it's just going to be this extraordinary matching algorithm, but not necessarily leading to better longer term employment. Okay
0: so so let me ask you this hypothetically I'm one of the 6.6 million people that have filed for you know assistance of some kind I've lost my job in the last 3 weeks and I'm I'm willing to give any information that you're looking for for me because I'm I need that job today I need you know my rent due again here shortly just because I'm willing to give you or the organization or the team that information how many organizations out of 10 or how many leaders of specific teams out of 10 Actually know what they're looking for, and how do they better understand the information to put into an algorithm or into an artificial intelligence machine to get what they're truly needing rather than what they think they need.
1: Too few. I think I, I don't have an actual number, but I, I love your point, and it's way too few. Okay. The too few organizations know exactly what they need. They don't know enough about uh, work, and that's where you know that that's where what corn. Ferry has done. We we have studied jobs. We have acquired companies Mm -hmm. that have studied the compensation of jobs and the uh, and the skills required to succeed in jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, so for us, the algorithms include uh, web scraping for people that match jobs that have been quantified and looking at scarcity or abundance of skill sets and going further the extra mile to say, what do you have to pay? To attract world class talent in places where there's scarcity, when, especially when the match between person and job is spot on. Sure. So, right now, that's too crude uh, and the data is you know, too incomplete. But yeah. here again, that's an area that's moving very fast.
0: What's the split then between hard and soft skills in the analysis? Because I can see measuring these hard skills and perhaps the compensation that's required uh, to bring somebody there is one thing, but to keep them is another. What what sort of understanding of that soft skill and that match is, is being done right now? And, and what can companies do to better identify what that soft skill match or fit might be?
1: It's a great question, but the answer sort of depends entirely on the job, mm-hmm. right? And so again, too, too seldom is it the case that people are profiling work in such a way that they could answer that question. right? So if, if there's a huge set of technical skills, if you're a software engineer and the programming language is A, B, or C, or you know, whatever it is, you know, or if there's very specific technical skills, and that is more important, than the softer skills, assuming it's a kind of individual programmer not on a sure, big team. Sure. Right. Yeah. So so there's a million examples we could look at. And and that's why what we do is we exhaustively profile jobs and understand the criticality of different hard or or soft skill sets. Mm-hmm. You have to do mm-hmm. that if you're going to make the algorithm work right. Otherwise it's kind of a garbage in, garbage out, you know, scenario.
0: Sure. Sure, thank you for sharing that. Let's move on to the third uh, the third principle that that uh, that you've discovered in, in in the writing of the book.
1: You know, it, 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 it's speed, and and yet right. our conversation thus far, I, I think, plays nicely into how uh, you know, talent and, and HR itself could 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 jack up the speed. Um mm. the, the reality is is that the user experience for for people around things all most things HR, it, it's it's really pretty crude. You know, mm-hmm. so you know all that, all of what we can do on consumer apps, you know, be it mm-hmm. Google Earth or, you know, shopping online or, you know, whatever, uh, Netflix algorithms and so on. Just in so, so little of that exists in HR. The, the technology is clunky and slow and the user interface is horrible. And then further, the speed at which HR leaders move to respond to and seize opportunities to execute strategy, it's just, it's just too slow, mm-hmm. and it's just not often enough that you hear HR leaders on the front end, you know, the leading or cutting edge on speed in an organization. They're mm-hmm. too oftentimes, you know, slow followers.
0: Is the primary reason for that risk aversion? Is it let's just say what we've been saying for years? Is it a, a lack of a seat at the table? Um, what What is the primary reason for the lack of of speed?
1: Too many HR people don't understand their business well enough you know if if i'm honest uh too many take the part of hr that is also critical which is sort of a do no harm but more Mm -hmm. the defensive police police state that is hr you know but they're they're not taking the opportunity to get up on their toes and and drive change and drive drive it fast you know And so you know there's plenty of examples of those who are and there's more and more HR people who are, you know, I, I would argue getting, getting with the talent manifesto, right, to, sure. to kind of join the, you, you know, the, the, the newer cutting edge and go faster in how they execute strategy and use data to make decisions. But we just, we got to pick up the pace. And there's, there's too much evidence that, that HR leaders, people leaders, even if not in HR, you know, are not going fast enough uh, to activate strategy.
0: Dr. Heckman, this has been uh, a fantastic conversation. Uh, I'm sure we keep going for for hours. Is there is there anything else that you want to share with us as as we close today?
1: I guess I would just add that you know that I, I love your your concept you know around the the one degree shift, and and for me it's it's maybe the parallel has been the the Betty principle, and mm. and Betty as an acronym is better today than yesterday. And honestly, when people can't leave the workplace or, you know, turn off their computer at night or whatever, wherever they are, if they can't really be clear about how and why they've made for a better something, you know, even if not on the job in their lives, if they can't or haven't done that, they got to stay awake. I mean, they got to get back to work, you know, so the Betty principle and and the one degree shift, I think are. are really important for all of us to embrace.
0: Well, Dr. Heckman, again, thank you for your time. For those who are listening, check out the Talent Manifesto and pick up that book. I know my order has been placed. And Dr. Heckman, thank you again. I look forward to keeping in touch.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. I love the work you're doing. Thanks for this opportunity. Thank you so much. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker
0: today, visit erictermundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E dot com. And click the podcast tab.
1: Thanks for listening.